This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 228, recorded Tuesday, September the 29th, 2015. So, Jason, yeah. if there was one question that the listeners would have for us today, what would it be? What the hell's going on over there, you guys? <laughs> I, I knew I could count on you for a what the hell is going on. <laughs> that That is a good, good question. And the answer is stuff. Stuff. Things and, and, and junk or whatever. And, and things, right? Um, but you may be wondering, what the hell? Why are we a day late again? Two weeks in a row. It's Tuesday again. Last week, of course, I was traveling, and I couldn't record on the Monday. And this week, you seem to have been infect- infected with the plague of some kind. Yeah, I've got uh, some kind of head plague, and uh, yeah, I'm feeling really, really crappy. And yesterday, I was feeling even crappier, and uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, this cold would have killed a normal man. But you are not a normal man. No, and luckily, uh, so I've survived. I still, I feel, I still feel like complete garbage, and... Uh, you know, thank the gods above that I have a cough button that I can slam my hand onto and uh, hack away without uh, having the listener, listeners having to endure that. Yeah, no, nobody wants to hear that. Well, I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better, yeah. and I do hope that you survive through through this podcast. And and I, I'm happy that you were able to do it today because we yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't want to just not do it. That's not that's not yeah. acceptable. Yeah, dragging myself out of bed uh, for a little while to do this. You know what the weirdest thing is though. No, what is? Ever since I've gotten sick, the last since uh, Saturday afternoon-ish is when I first started feeling sick, I haven't need, needed my glasses. What? I don't need my glasses. They're actually annoying to wear. I can see everything just fine. I don't know what's going on. I don't need my glasses when I'm sick. I don't think your eyes have gotten better. I think your body is probably just not focused on not being able to see. I don't know. I, I can't. I just. I can read my 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 phone just fine. I can read my computer monitor just fine. I don't need my glasses. Maybe my head is so full of mucus that it's causing extra pressure, which is changing the shape of my eyes to back to normal. That is so super weird. Yeah, it's it's a little weird. Okay, well, um, I I mean I hope your vision stays corrected, but I fear when you go, you know, back to healthy. Uh, back to a healthy state that you're, you're going to need your oh, yeah. glasses again. It'll go back, but right now I don't need them. It's oh, weird. that's so weird. Well, all right. I, I didn't even notice you weren't wearing them, so yeah, good good for you. All right, so that that's why we're an, a day late. Next week, um, you know, come hell or high water, we're recording on Monday night next week. So yeah, uh, let's uh, let's let's write that down in pen. We're not just going to pencil that in. That's written in pen right now. So I've written I've written it in blood actually. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So you can't take that back. Not my blood, but somebody's blood. Somebody's blood. Okay. Uh one more thing uh just at the beginning here is I want to remind people about the Walking Death Pool. We talked about this last week and uh this is a new site at walkingdeathpool.com which is kind of fun. The idea is you go and make predictions on who's going to die in season 6 of The Walking Dead, the main show. This is not a Fear the Walking Dead thing for now. For now, it's just the main show. And we have a pool going over there. So our pool is called The Talking Dead Podcast. And what what you can do is go over to the site, sign up, join our pool, and make your picks. 
and a pick in, entails choosing who's going to die in what episode and whether they're going to die by human or walker. So do that. Go make some picks. I know a whole bunch of people joined already. And um, pick entry closes, I think, the day before the season starts, so October the 10th. So uh, it'll be fun. You still have a little bit of time to get those in, but uh, once it closes, they'll be set in stone, so to speak, and then we'll just see how it plays out and see who wins the pool. Yeah, they'll write that down in gore. In gore? Not in blood, not in pen, (laughs) but they'll write it in gore. So you're going to just disembowel someone and use their entrails to write down the picks. That's correct. That sounds disgusting. Yes. Uh, well, the, our pool's called the Talking Dead Podcast. Go to walkingdeathpool.com to join, and I think it should be fun. Thanks to everyone involved over there at getting that set up and running. Um, and uh, maybe next year it'll be for Fear the Walking Dead as well. We'll have to see. All right. Let's take a quick look back at last week's episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Listener Feedback. All right, Jason, because you are suffering today, I'm going to read all of the emails. Yeah. Weird, weirdly enough, uh, I don't need glasses, but I'm having a hard time reading. Right. <laughs> but, but that's a mental thing. Uh, my brain's swapping words, and I'm unable to speak coherently a lot of the time. More of a, probably more of just a voice thing, too. If, you're, if, you, if you have throat problems or sinus problems, yeah. I mean, talking can be difficult. I get it. Yeah, no. So I, I appreciate you uh, stepping up and uh, and doing this this week. Step it up, so everyone, you're going to hear a lot of me in the next little while, but that's yep. okay. Jason's still here. All right, Jessica on the internet writes about last week's episode. One of the dead guys on the ground on Maddie's excursion had a gun six inches from his hand, where he lay dead slash shot in the head. Presumably, he was alive when shot, since we've yet to see a walker carry a gun. That's my guess as to how Maddie knew they were shooting people who were alive anyway. Right? That makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, dude had a gun, and uh, I mean, someone with a gun is sort of a threat to others anyways. I mean, depends. What's the deadliest thing we've seen a, uh, a walker uh, carrying? Hold on. Let me just clarify that. Depending on how they're using the gun, they're a threat to other people. Right. Um, but the, the deadliest thing we've seen a walker carrying, um, a rock, I think. A rock, uh, maybe the teddy bear, the little girl in the uh, the pilot of The Walking Dead. She was carrying a teddy bear. Yes, I don't see that as all that deadly. No, but I mean, if you're going to start somewhere, that's where you should start, right? So, uh, you know, teddy bear and a rock. I think your rock beats the teddy bear. I think rock beats teddy bear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, I'm just I'm just curious. Maybe <laughs> somebody was carrying a knife. I don't know. Uh, a piece of wood. Uh, I I I. Whenever I think back about that scene, in, I think season two with uh the rv inspector zombie yep um for some reason i always think back as if the zombie was holding the screwdriver but it no. wasn't it was andrea holding was the screwdriver andrea. and she put yeah. it through his eye socket that's right yeah um so they never held a screwdriver but in season one they did hold rocks and they smashed them or bricks maybe and smashed them against the department store window right. and, and i can't think of anything else a zombie was ever holding the teabag zombie in the well he was just in a well um and there's been moss zombie up against the tree, but not really holding a weapon of any kind. So zombies don't hold guns. That's the point. And as no, Jessica said, if someone had a gun, they were likely alive when they were, <laughs> they were alive before they were killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were alive right up until the time they died. That's right. That's right. 
All right. Thanks, Jessica, for that. Uh, next is Mark in Baltimore. And Mark says, the mirror reflecting light in the house on the hill were survivors. The gunfire at the end of the episode was the survivors being taken out by the National Guard. The soldiers didn't just find those survivors. Travis told the golfing Lieutenant Moyers where to look for them. At the end of the episode, Travis has his faith in the government support structure shattered, and he also has to come to grips with the fact fact that it was his report of the light that led to their deaths. Mm. I think that makes sense. I mean, we didn't really see what was going on in there, and I think after seeing this week's episode, I'm pretty sure we're not going to. It was more of a, a plot element just for that episode, but it does make sense now because Travis did mention it to Lieutenant Moyers, and uh, I guess Moyers went out to to exterminate them. That's what we can infer. Yeah, and there was a there was a one line that Moyers used uh, this week that confirmed that he said, "You've been a lot of help to me lately." Um, is that when what he was talking. referring to? Do you think? I think so. I, I mean, he that's... he could have sorry he could have also been just referring to the fact that Travis went and spoke to Doug. Yeah, it might have been a whole ball of. You've been really good for helping me uh, pinpoint people that need to be removed or taken out or dealt with. Yeah, uh, talk talk down or taken down, right? Right. Yeah, you talk okay. him down or I'm going to take him down. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, Travis has been been doing things in an effort to, I guess, stay on Moyer's good side, but, you know, he's telling him he's getting people killed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Debbie on the internet. I feel like you glossed over the most important development of episode four. Wow. Since the start of the series, Maddie has been unwavering in her trust that the authorities will take care of the situation. But in this episode, she sees that the authorities are either unable or unwilling to restore services. They're lying and withholding information. They even took her son away against his will, against his will and without her consent, and for arguably no good reason. So the trust she has had in the authorities is diminishing rapidly, which makes for a far more dire situation than she had ever anticipated. No one is coming to save the day. That's true. She's got a good point. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Maddie was the one who was saying to uh, Tobias that, you know, the, the authorities will take care of this. She was the one who was thinking that, you know, the power and water and all that will still be on. Um, but clearly, she seems to be getting the impression now that, that's not what's happening. And I think that's a big thing for, for Madison. That's, yep. uh, she's losing faith in the sort of establishment of society. That's true. And that also becomes important in this episode, I think. It does. The most Look at all these smart people. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, moving along. Shannon on the internet. The timeline of this show is fascinating to me. It's been less than two weeks since Nick saw his first zombie. That day, Tobias tells Maddie he'd seen reports from five states on the internet. Two days later, we hear on the radio that states of emergency had been declared in 10 or 11 states. Nine days later, LA is a wasteland outside the safe zone. Civilization is going down so fast. In the first episode of The Walking Dead, Morgan meets... Uh, Morgan mentions to Rick that they'd lost power about a month before. He also tells him they'd heard of a refugee center in Atlanta, presumably the same government or military action that set up safe zones in California. But that seems to be gone by the time Rick shows up in Atlanta. 
I, I remember reading that the first season doesn't quite get to the point in time when Rick wakes up, so I feel like the little island of safety Maddie and her neighbors are currently enjoying is on severely borrowed time. Well, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being a prognosticator, Shannon, <laughs> yeah. um, it, the timeline is funny because things do, it's been nine days, ten days, whatever, things do seem to be crumbling a lot faster. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, things didn't go slower in Atlanta. You know, maybe the the safe zones or the refugee centers in Atlanta lasted longer than in L.A. That's true. Right? I mean, we don't really know. We, we only see what's going on here in California, not so much. And, of course, we didn't see at all what was going on in Atlanta while Rick was in his coma. So, um, yeah, it does feel like, in a way, society's crumbling really fast, but that doesn't mean... I guess that it was uh, it was at the same rate everywhere. Yeah, and also it also uh, depends on what the the military's priority is. If they're, uh, you know, this is kind of I don't know. Are we allowed to bring up stuff from this episode already? Or like we are we're kind of concentrating on last week's episode. Right well, now. well, yeah. I mean, we're looking back at, at people's feedback from last week's episode, but you know, go for it, man. All right. So if they're pulling out of the L.A. basin, they might be doing that in order to reinforce places that they think that they can hold like uh, Atlant- Atlantis? Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> Atlantis. <laughs> yeah. So they might be pulling out of L.A. in order to reinforce Atlanta, right? So that, that kind of, that place would hold a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta and L.A. are pretty far apart, but like... You, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a national military, right? So they're like, they're just, they're picking and choosing where they can reinforce that makes the most sense. For sure, for sure. But if they're going to transfer soldiers, like pull out of L.A. to reinforce San Diego or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what their plans are, but it's just, <laughs> Thanks. you know, it's just, uh, it's just an, an idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. Exactly. Like sometimes you, you lose the battle to win the war, right? Yeah. You, you might have to sacrifice something, but go and reinforce somewhere else. So, yeah. Um, all right. Thank you, Debbie. Next is Shannon. No, I already read. No, thank you, Shannon. I already read Shannon. Next is uh, Gala in Maple, Ontario. I just rewatched all four episodes of Fear the Walking Dead and saw something that I don't think anyone has caught, or if they have, no one has commented on it. Nick gets his addiction gene from Madison. Madison is an alcoholic. After Travis brings Liza, Chris, and the Salazars home with him, when Liza approaches Madison after the run-in with Susan, Madison is in the mudroom contemplating over a glass of clear liquid which she sips from gently. I've never seen anyone contemplate over a glass of water like that. (laughs) Later, Madison is seen hiding in the garage, drinking desperately from a coffee mug. I don't usually hide my coffee habit. Not many people I know do. Somehow, I don't think the comment Alicia made in the third episode about deja vu and waiting for someone to come home was about their dad. I think Alicia's glance at Nick was a sort of look for support or agreement. It was Madison they waited for to come home safely after she'd been out drinking, not their dad. Right. That makes sense. Maybe the clear liquid was, uh, what was that, Pepsi Clear that they used to have? Yeah, they were hoarding Pepsi Clear for years, and now is the time to have one? Yeah, and she doesn't want to share, because who wants to share, you know, a hoarded stash of Pepsi Clear? I guess not. Um, if it wasn't Pepsi Clear, it could have been vodka. Yeah, vodka is probably the most likely candidate after Pepsi Clear. Or maybe vinegar, vinegar, white vinegar. Yeah, you have to sip that. You cannot chug vinegar. Oh, no. Just cannot do it. It's impossible. Um, anyways, I think this is an interesting idea. The thing is, 
uh, I mean, in what was it back in in the first or second episode when um, when this whole you know addiction gene idea was revealed? Didn't Travis say you know this is not to Madison, this is not your fault? Yeah, sort of implying that it wasn't her that had any addiction in her family. Um, but but you never know. I mean, when you look at these scenes, especially the one in the garage where she's sitting there in the garage by herself, drinking something out of a coffee mug. It could have just been coffee, could have been tea, could have... I, I lie about how much coffee I consume. Do you now, to your doctor? Doc, no, not my doctor, but... <laughs> how much coffee do you drink, Jason? <laughs> well, I usually have at least three cups of coffee a day, at mm. least. Like, that. that's the baseline. So you start at three, sometimes go up to six. Well, you know, four, maybe. Okay. Is, is that considered too much? I don't know. I don't drink coffee. Yeah, it prob- probably is. Okay, well... um. So I guess I wouldn't you... lie on the internet though. I'll lie. I'll lie to my wife. I'll lie to my family and close <laughs> friends and all that stuff. But now that I'm on the internet, you know, it's all fair game. Tell the truth on here. Everyone tells the truth online. Yeah, that's what that's I true. thought. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Gala may be onto something here, but we don't have enough information yet. Is is really where I what I'm thinking. This although the scene in the garage does make me think that maybe there's something to this. Yeah, she's uh, she's a chug a luggin. But that the other thing. The other thing is, I don't know. I would assume, I, I assumed that wherever the addiction problem came from, it was in the past. So is Madison like a recovered alcoholic, but now she's she's uh, fallen off the wagon? I don't know. Well, there's always going to be a trigger, right? Like you're never recovered. You're always recovering. Uh, well, so, okay. And there's there's always going to be, uh, well, there will most likely be a trigger of some kind. And I think the zombie apocalypse is probably a pretty big trigger. You know, if there was an actual zombie apocalypse, my first thought would be, fuck it, I'm smoking. Right? <laughs> I would buy, I would get a pack of cigarettes and I would start smoking again. It's been 10 years since I've had a cigarette. And uh, yeah, that would be the perfect opportunity. Some, some, A small part of me wants the zombie apocalypse to start so that I have an excuse to start smoking again. But I don't understand. Isn't a trigger usually something that reminded you of of the addiction in some way or something that you did when you were addicted to cigarettes or alcohol or drugs or whatever. It can't be something like the zombie apocalypse, which has no connection to your smoking. High-stress events are triggers. Okay. Like when, when you're stressed out, you have a cigarette, or when you're stressed out, you drink. Okay. So this is a highly stressful, so it's not the zombie apocalypse that's the trigger. Got it. It's the stress that you feel from it that is the trigger. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So she's feeling stressed out. She's a little upset about what's going on. And yep. she's gone back to her drinking ways. Feeling out of control. Uh, you know, her son is going through some stuff and, you know, the, the dead are wandering around eating their neighbors. You know, that can be stressful. I'd probably drink. Yeah, and, and you don't drink at all. I don't drink that much at all, so. Yeah, okay. Well, good catch, Kayla. We'll see how that plays out. Um, and uh, maybe we'll get a little more this uh, next episode or next season. Finally, Michael in Ozark, Missouri... I myself am still undecided on how much I am enjoying Fear the Walking Dead. I've come to the realization that it's very difficult to watch these people, who are supposed to be clueless about the infection, and zombies in general, when I, the viewer, know so much about what's coming ahead of them. I bet it's even harder for writers to write the storyline from a point of view of people who are clueless of what's ahead. Do you think that's a... Do you think that's a thing? Like... or, or, or do you think the fact that they sort of know where this story is going, at least from a world building and, and setup and setting kind of perspective, that that makes it easier or harder as for writers? 
Uh, I don't know. I think that they're all consummate professionals and that they have the ability to, you know, at least cipher out what these people would know at any given time. And they've all, they've plotted it out, right? Like they've also, they've before they even started writing the episodes, they plotted out, uh, you know, the overall arcing story of uh, when it was going to start and how the season was going to end and what they would know at any given time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I find interesting is in this most recent episode that we know right away that uh, all the dead come back, regardless of whether you've been bitten. Yeah, we find that out this episode for sure. Now, it hasn't been shared with everybody. Yeah. But um, you got to think that... Uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. I, I, I was thinking that that knowing where the story goes, or or at least you know knowing the rules of the world, might make it actually easier for the writers because they kind of don't have to to worry about creating that. They they can just focus on telling a story, and they know the rules of the universe and the rules and how zombies work and how you kill them and that everyone's infected and all those sorts of things. Um, so, but maybe Michael is getting more referring to the fact that even though these people are um, in a safe zone and they're holding out, we kind of know that that's not going to last. And this really is the, you know, the end of the world, so to speak. Right. I don't know. I mean, uh, it could could be either way. Maybe it depends on the person, depends on the writer. But I think in some ways it might even make it easier on them, but uh, maybe not. And, and, you know, the other thing is I, I think sometimes they write by committee a little bit. You know, there are a group of writers. Usually an episode is credited to one or two people, but I'm pretty sure they get together, bounce ideas off each other. And of course they have to keep a continuity. So it's not like they're they're writing on an island, right? And they don't have any other input. So right. I think if you have trouble with something, you can probably go to your writer buddies and say, Hey, I'm having trouble with this. How do we how do we proceed? Yep. Absolutely. You know? So I don't know, but good comment. Michael, thanks to everyone for writing in. Um, we got lots of email from everybody, and I just wanted to, I thought I'd say here that uh, I apologize for not being able to sort of get everyone's comments on the show. Because we've bundled up feedback and kind of episode discussions into a single podcast for Fear the Walking Dead, we just don't have the same time as we do on the on the on when we talk about the main show and we separate out the feedback. So can't get through quite as much, but uh, once this is all done and we go back to our regular format for the main show, we're going to have the Wednesday night um, feedback shows as well. So we'll be, we'll be back to that when we do that. And then next year for Fear the Walking Dead, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what's going on. It'll be in season two and there'll be way more episodes. So I have a feeling we'll probably go to a format like that then as well. All right, now it is time to move on to this most recent episode, Season 1, Episode 5 of Fear the Walking Dead, called... Cobalt. Thank you, John, in SoCal, for the title read. Nice. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the only one we got. Um, and from AMC, their description of this episode is, The National Guard's plan for the neighborhood is revealed. Travis and Madison make a difficult decision. Very. I, yeah, but I, aren't all the decisions <laughs> difficult? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. For the most part? I know uh, all the decisions that I make are pretty much difficult. Yeah. Everything, every little micro decision you make in your life, I'm sure you agonize over all the time. Yeah. Uh, the ratings for this episode were 4.4 4 million people. In, that's nice. in the 18 to 24, I think. 
um, which which is okay. But I feel like Cobalt sort of settled into a bit of a, a range here after they started really high. Right. But is uh, that down from last week? You know, um, I didn't notice. It may be down. Oh, and I can't check right now. Um, it might be up a tiny bit actually from last week, but uh, I don't remember. I'm sorry, I failed you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Good. Still, pretty solid ratings. I mean, it won the night, basically, so it's doing pretty well. Uh, okay, so here we have episode five called, called Cobalt, and this was the code name for the show before they gave it an actual name. Mm-hmm. And turns out it's the code name for a military procedure in the show as well. Yeah, to get the fuck out. To get the hell out of there. Um, maybe that's where we should, we should start. So the idea of Cobalt is the army pulls out of the zone, EVACs, they call it, of course. They're, they're planning on it. They're planning on it. It's happening, yeah. like, basically the next morning from, yeah, from so the, the next show. episode, next week's episode, that's when it'll actually happen. But it's 9 a.m. the next day, which we haven't gotten to. Right. And part of the plan is that it... Includes procedures for the humane termination of people left over? Well, they didn't actually finish that sentence, so it's up in the air as to what the termination is. Well, is it just the people in the 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 sick and the injured people in the, uh, the hospital center mm-hmm. at the college? Or is it the uh, termination of everybody? Well, my my uh, assumption is that it's the, the termination of everybody. Now, why would they need to actually kill everybody who's left over? I mean, maybe to try to prevent further spread of this disease the way they see it. Um, but why not just pull out of the safe zone, say, sorry, guys, you're on your own and go home? Like why? Well, that's what I, that's. I actually think that that's what they're going to do. It's the termination of the people that are injured in the uh, makeshift hospital, and the people in the fences, uh, inside the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the people that are going to be terminated because those are the problem people, anyways. Yeah. Um. And 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 then at the end of the episode, we did see people, or we did see the military basically starting to move out. Right. I mean, Chris and Alicia realize that they're not patrolling; they're just leaving. So maybe they're they're. they're grabbing stuff like there was one truck that had a bicycle in the back and a bunch of other crap they're they're uh, they're looting right now they're not patrolling i thought i saw a big screen tv too actually yeah they're looting well this is a they're whole grab- this is a whole other can. question but at the end of the day i mean they're looting and leaving and we don't really know if you know termination includes everybody or just the people they have in the hospital i don't know um but let's say it is everybody and I have a feeling that might be where the show is going because I think maybe, well, if you remember, Atlanta in the original show was was bombed, right? Yes, firebombed. Maybe that is their method of termination. Yeah, maybe. I guess for every human being you kill, that's one fewer zombie that you have to deal with later on. Yeah, I mean, we always assumed that the, the firebombing of of Atlanta was an effort to take out the zombies or control the zombies, but maybe they don't discriminate. Maybe they're like, everyone is now a zombie. Everyone is a threat. So 
if we firebomb them and of course their heads burn off, they're not going to turn into zombies. So that's what we have to do. So that's, that was kind of my assumption when we found out what cobalt was that our characters are now in grave danger because they are basically sitting ducks waiting to be humanely terminated. (laughs) Yeah. I thought I'm going the other way. I think it's the, the humane termination of the people that are uh, injured and sick in the, the makeshift hospital, and that everybody else is just going to be left behind. Yeah. Now, either way, I think it has kind of the same result because it it gets our characters that are there on the move. You know, they can't stay in the safe zone because if they are going to be terminated, well, they're not safe there. And if they're not, but everyone in the hospital is, well, Nick and as far as they know, um, Griselda are, are in the hospital and they need to go save them. Yeah, and that's where I think they're going, is that, uh, oh, crap, they're going to terminate everybody in the hospital. We have to go and save them. Yeah, okay. Well, that totally makes sense. Um, they don't have a lot of time, though. It's 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 already, uh, I don't know if it's evening, but it's 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 9 a.m. the next day, so they have, they have you know, maybe 20 hours. Right. Well, it's dark. Is, we left them in the dark. Is it dark? So maybe they have 12 hours or less. Maybe. It's not a lot of time. So this information is revealed by Adams. Um, soldier Adams, who is being tortured by Daniel Salazar. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like things in, in this scene regarding the torture kind of escalated quickly. You know what I mean? Like, no. Uh, I mean, is torture really the first thing that they would resort to? I know Daniel wants to get information. I know he told Ophelia that I'm just going to take him. We're going to trade him for our people, which, but that was never his intention. He reveals he always was sitting there thinking, I'm going to capture this guy. We're going to torture him and get him to tell us what he knows. I mean, I feel like that's a, I feel like it happened really quick. Like why first go to torture? Why not at least try some other things? Well, that's his fallback position, right? And we get that information throughout the episode is that, uh, you know, he's done this before. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason, he relies on this method to extract true information, which I think is a fallacy. But uh, this is what he, he's basically running home to mama. He's like, this is, this is my, my wheelhouse. I'm going to use my skills to get information I feel I need. Yeah, and he does say that in the episode, you know, he's been kind of scarred by war in the past, right? And he 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 was a torturer in whatever war he was in. Yeah. Um although he does explain to Maddie that this isn't what he told Ophelia his daughter, you know, he told her this these sort of things happen in war, but I wasn't the torturer, I was maybe the torturee. Yeah, he said, I told her everything, I just didn't tell her which person I was. Which guy I was, that's right. So you're right, he's done this before, but I just don't know if that really is the first thing he'd, you know, he'd go for. I mean, it makes him kind of a psychopath. Well, it's not the first thing you'd go for, it's not the first thing I'd go for, but it's, you know, this is his skill set. This is the particular set of skills that he has in order to safeguard his family. And so that's what he's going to but do. But do you think he'd go for torturing the guy? I mean, Adams, uh, what is he, Corporal Adams? I don't I, know. I'm not sure. Adams, the guy in the chair, he, I mean, he agrees to answer all his questions before the torture begins. Yet he but does then he lies. He does it anyways. But he lies. But, well, he, we don't he know. Asked what, what is cobalt? I don't know. <sighs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, how do you know he's lying? Daniel doesn't know he, d- he knows what cobalt is. Right. 
So that's why he's torturing them. So just to make sure, like, sure, you can answer all the questions, but I don't know if they're true unless I, you know, apply some pressure on you in order to make sure. I, you know, you can tell me whatever you want, but I don't believe you unless I apply my skill set so that I believe you. I guess I'm just anti-torture and well, yeah. you're pro-torture. I'm not pro-torture. <laughs> I said it did getting extracting information uh, out of the, this way is is a fallacy. It's it's right. it's a way of getting the person to say whatever you want them to say, not whatever is true. Correct. Except in this case we have to assume that cobalt is true. Right. Interesting. Well, I don't know. I I I know they only have a certain amount of time. It's only 6 episodes and all this had to, had to happen in one episode, but I feel like it could have played out a little bit longer. Uh, another thing though that I think came out of this is that uh, Maddie has sort of gotten darker, and this relates to what one of the listeners emailed earlier, but she's not only lost her faith in the authorities, she kind of goes along with this. Like, at the very least, she just turns turns away and pretends she doesn't see it. Yeah. You know? If I ask you you no know, you know questions, you'll tell me no lies. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but on the other hand, Travis is extremely upset by it. Yes. You know, so we're we're solidifying those two characters. Uh, one's going a little dark, and Travis is trying to maintain the high road, I think. Yeah. As much as he can. So, um, anyways, uh, Cobalt is the big reveal, and it's pretty serious. Uh, the other thing, though, is that he reveals that there is an arena full of 2,000 zombies locked behind doors. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be fun next episode. And this this is something that Daniel can verify because at the end of the episode he goes to the arena and sure enough he finds locked doors with a lot of zombie sounds behind them. Well, yeah, he, see, he sees banging doors. You know, they could all be just people pissed off that they got locked in. I'm pretty sure they're zombies. Oh yeah, absolutely. But but you're right. This is going to be fun next episode. This this is going to be a rather large group of zombies that they can't just talk about and not show again. So. Yeah, because they've been routinely patrolling and clearing the entire area of all of the undead. So, and it's since it's only been a few days since the actual outbreak, like uh, a couple of weeks maybe, we don't. There hasn't been a lot of time for a huge herd to uh, coagulate. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, form, come together. Form, come together, cohere. Uh huh. So we need a source of a lot of zombies in a very short period of time, which is, you know, this uh, arena full of zombies. Basically, it's a it's a bowl full of zombies ready to uh, spill over into their tiny little community. Yeah, yeah. But and, what did, uh, it kind of makes sense. What did Adam say? They, they were in there trying to contain it, but it, it, people started to panic and they couldn't tell, you know, the undead from the living and ended up just locking the doors and therefore everyone ended up being undead. Yeah, they just needed to lock the doors. And get the hell out. So yeah. that is going to be awesome. Um, I assume they're going to somehow break out of there, and there's suddenly going to be a lot of zombies around. Or yeah. maybe the firebombing will target the arena at first, and they'll try to take them out that way. Oh, they're not going to firebomb anything. They're just going to leave. Okay. And they're going to use the the canisters of uh, what what is pneumatic uh, piston... Yeah, the um, the bolt killer thing for cows. Yeah, they're just going to use that. That's the humane way of dispatching all of the people. That's what. That's the method that they're going to use. No way, just gonna man. Just going to go around and go ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. You're just going to hold down living people and do that to them? We'll do it in their sleep. 
<laughs> Great. Hope nobody else wakes up. Morning, sunshine. Good junk. Good junk. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, those are those are huge things that we're going to see how they play out uh, next episode. Let's talk about Victor Strand a little bit. Do you know who I'm referring to when I say the name Victor Strand? You're talking about the closer guy? The closer guy that we see at the beginning and yeah. and then again later on in the episode. So this is a character played by an actor named Coleman Domingo, which is an amazing name. Yeah. And he he shows up in the cold open where he's talking to Doug, who's in, you know, being held in basically in cells in the basement of the prison. They're sort of chain chain link fenced off areas yeah and he's tormenting him and he's being especially ruthless toward him and insulting his wife and he's causing him to have a breakdown he's not insulting his wife he's insulting him he's saying he's saying your wife is a very attractive woman she'll find a nice guy to uh to get her through this he 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 does say that but he also says did mrs doug keep her figure like did you were you did you you know is she the same woman as when you married her Right? Or did she let herself go, is what he's saying. Yeah, I'm not sure that was... Uh, see, this is way gray area, but I'm not... It's uh, it's diminishing her, but I don't know if it's necessarily insulting her. Well, d- maybe diminishing her in, in Doug's eyes. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, he's trying to get him to... Uh, he's trying to get Doug to, to break down. Cause, well, you know, he's already a blubbering mess, but he's trying to get him to be obnoxiously blubbering so that uh, he has attention called upon him. Right. So is that so attention is taken off of somebody else? But like what's what's uh, see, Strand's that's motivation? Note, that's the note I got here is that uh, closer guy, I didn't under, didn't quite understand his motivations. At the, I don't know why he's doing this. Yeah, at the beginning. I mean, I understand later. I, well, I sort of understand no, later not, on. No, not even then. Maybe you can explain it to me. Maybe my uh, my cold, addled brain didn't quite understand what was going on, but I didn't understand this guy's motivations. Well, he's trying to escape, and he has a key. Yeah. Um, I, I'm with you that I don't know what, what it is about Nick that he, he needs. He says, I need a guy with your talents. When he, when he executes his plan, and I have to assume his plan is to escape with that key. Maybe he needs a smelly vomit guy. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to create distractions by vomiting and being smelly and wearing dead guy's clothes. Well, he does say, you know, we were, we were hoping for uh, something to mask the smell of urine while he's vomiting, yeah. and he says, congratulations. Um, but, uh, no, I didn't really quite understand at the beginning, although... Um, what I think it is, is he's trying to get rid of the people that are going to somehow hinder his plan. Whatever right. his plan is, he didn't see Doug as being able to help. He saw Doug as a liability because Doug was useless. And uh, so he needed to get rid of him. So he riled him up or, you know, sort of insulted him enough that he was just a blubbering mess and then the soldiers would come take him away. How Nick fits into his plan and how, you know, a drug addict isn't going to be just super annoying and unhelpful? I don't know. But why single this guy out? Like, why would he do this to Doug? Just just to get rid of him. Like, he needed Doug out of there so that when he uses that key to unlock the, the fence and run away or whatever he's going to do, he doesn't have to worry about bringing Doug with him or Doug screwing things up. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's just a completely self-serving, the only people that, uh, in this cage are people I can use. Everybody else has got to go. Th- yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And right. how he's going to use them, I don't know. Um, 
because I don't really see Nick as that much more helpful than a guy like Doug, to be honest. Maybe Nick can sniff out heroin, and this guy wants heroin because he says you're a heroin addict, and that's the gold standard. The gold standard, yeah. I, I need I need some smack, and you're going to find it for me. I don't know. I, I, I can't see how Nick would be all that helpful other than that he's a main character, so he's got to help somehow. Well, yeah, he's got the plot device shield. He does for now. Um, but anyways, I mean, I did think, uh, Victor Strand was, was a, an entertaining character to watch anyways, very articulate and just, you know, a presence on screen, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but the other thing is Nick has a fever. So is that just part of his heroin withdrawal, the fever? I assume so. I mean, he's not dying. I don't I think, don't think he's, he's been bitten. I don't think he's been bitten. So, but they did have, he did have a fever and he was going to run or he was about to be taken away. So yeah. Victor is his savior for now. We'll have to see how that plays out. It will be interesting. Um, we only got one more episode, so we'll see soon. Um, What, what else do we want to go over in this episode? How about the, uh, the, the military and sort of their interaction with Travis in this episode. Any thoughts there and that, that gun scene? Well, they're kind of breaking down. They're uh, Obviously, they haven't slept for a long time, and they're under a lot of stress, and uh, their structure is breaking down. They don't believe in their mission anymore. They're demoralized. Uh, I don't quite know why they made Nick... Uh, fire that weapon and you know if you're the first time you're gonna fire travis a rifle of some, travis sorry make travis fire uh, if you're gonna make somebody fire uh, a rifle of some kind uh, the first time you do it don't put them behind a 50 cal sniper because that thing is gonna kick and it's gonna hurt a lot well i i think moyers here was taking a chance he was he was being so condescending and dickish to yeah. travis that i think what he was doing is just sort of trying to intimidate him and assert his dominance over him. Exactly. So they're, it's breaking down like this. Like a, a soldier wouldn't normally do that under uh, normal conditions. It's because uh, he's just he, he's he's an ass. He, he's turning into a bigger ass. And when you take away all constraints, assholes turn into huge assholes. Huge gaping assholes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Uh, well. Yeah, I think that's what he was doing. I mean, he was just sort of uh, just intimidating Travis and to do this, but it did kind of make no sense to me. Like, yeah. you can't just tell a guy who's never shot a gun in his life or, you know, at least never shot a rifle like that in his life to just pick one up and, and use it. Like, I've never, like, I've never even really encountered many guns in my life. I've never held one, really, and you know, let alone shot one. If someone walked me up to that thing and started yelling at me to shoot it, I wouldn't know what to do. Maybe the safety was on. Maybe it was just a test to see if he would pull a trigger and, uh, you know, the safety's on. Because you never leave a weapon unattended without the safety on, right? So maybe he flicked on the safety and uh, had Travis go and just see if he would pull the trigger or try to pull the trigger. I guess. I mean, it could have been. I, I don't know. That wasn't communicated to us, I don't think. But... Um, he did say, you know, when Travis backed away and couldn't do it, Moyers did say, you know, I thought so. Basically, you are the right. wimpy little man that I thought you He's were. Just being a dick. Yeah, that's just what I mean. He was being a huge dick. And the thing about that is, I don't like it in shows when they portray members of the military like that because no, I feel like it's cliche to do that at this point, right? There's it. They're being so negative. They're 
and they're they're just making them look so bad that I just don't feel like it's like it's realistic. And you know, it could be realistic that people turn into dicks, but why is it always military leaders that seem to do this in yeah. in shows and movies? Well, that's why I say that the uh, you know they've been up for too long, and they're the system is starting to break down because uh, you know soldiers are typically uh, you know sober professionals, sober consummate professionals. They're uh, they they do their job, they know their job. You never put somebody unqualified uh, behind a weapon like this. Just you just don't do it. Right. You need there's a lot of training that 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 is involved in that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, under normal conditions, that nobody would ever do this. So uh, that's why I say that it must be uh, a complete mental breakdown on his part and uh, a moral breakdown on the entire unit. Yeah, I just wish it wasn't done through the military because I feel like they yeah. get a bad rap in this way in, in TV and movies. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's too bad. But, but you're right. I mean, this Moyers guy is especially a prick. He... He he seems to. Uh, I think he you know is rough with his <laughs> with his soldiers. <laughs> There's a yeah. scene where uh, one of the guys in the truck is talking when they're driving in the Humvee, and um, uh, Travis questions him what happens to his face, and the guy's answer says it was nothing. It was a momentary lapse of patriotism, which to right. me is like I slipped for a minute and Moyers like beat the shit out of me. Well, that was uh, there was a scene earlier where he said, uh, Sergeant, go. Uh, tell your soldier about his duty because he said, "Screw this, I'm out of here." Right. Oh, right. that's right. To get so, it done. So that's what that's what I figured. I didn't actually see what characters were uh, involved in that, but that's what I assumed this was. Yeah. That he had tried to, you know, get the hell out of there because he was done with this bullshit. Yeah. And uh, somebody brought him back in line. Yeah, with a punch to the face. Um, and then what about the the incident at the library? So all this said about Moyers. Turns out he's not coming back. Moyers, yeah. Moyers is dead anyway. Some somehow, Some, he didn't make it. He didn't make it. He's not coming. Um, one of the other soldiers that does uh, come back, though, um, he mentions that uh, some people, you know, don't trust the government. Explaining why there were still holdouts of people outside the safe zones. That some people just don't trust us and they won't come with us. Um, so he's, you know, basically telling us that there's still people in LA and they weren't really fully evacuated like they said they were. Right. Which is, opens up a whole potential for all kinds of characters all over the city once, you know, the safe zone falls. Yeah. Well, that, I think that would be typical of anybody, uh, look at when they evacuate areas for hurricanes and such. There's always holdouts. People that people refuse that say, to leave that. Their I'm staying in my house. I'm going to open a window so the wind can blow through and... Everything will be fine. My laundry will dry really fast. Yeah. In heavy wind. <laughs> True. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess there's more people out there and so on. Uh, and then the only thing that I didn't like about this whole sequence was the the laziest grenade throw I've ever seen. Like, the oh, dude just gosh. pulls it out and just kind of huh, drops the grenade over tink, there a tink, little bit. Tink. Yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, they, they teach soldiers how to throw grenades better than that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then it was one of those like cheap B-movie effects. I'm sorry to harp on this, but it was like a B-movie effect where the explosion happens like way in front of all the people on screen. Like there were some zombies coming yeah. out of hallway and the explosion looks like it's way in front of them. I'm not saying it wouldn't, uh, like shrapnel wouldn't hit them or whatever, but it just feels like if you're going to throw the grenade, just get it 
center of where you want it to explode, not you know yeah. way in front. Looked kind of cheap to me. Oh well, I didn't I didn't quite notice that, but I agree with you. Okay, well, good. I'm glad you can agree with me. Totally blind. Well, yeah, you know, when in doubt, I agree with you. Oh. So I will uh, I will support you when I agree with you, or I don't care. <laughs> Great, which is. 100% of the time, one or the other. No, the only time I will not support you is when I actively disagree with you. All right, great. Uh, let's move on to the hospital a little bit. So, turns out there is a hospital here. Um, doctor, sort of. I mean, it's at a college, right? It's in a gymnasium. Sure. Dr. Exner wasn't lying, though. They are actually treating That's people true. and trying to help them. Um, she's a little bit cryptic when uh, Liza has some questions, but not really. I mean, she doesn't really lie to her. She does tell her that uh, Griselda loses her foot and is downstairs and is recovering. Um, she doesn't always give her all the information, but it was nice to see that she wasn't totally making stuff up and she's not just evil. That's true. Um, the biggest revelation out of all of this, of course, is that they know everybody comes back. And so that yes. information is revealed much earlier in this show than in the main show. And to be honest, they kind of have to do that, right? How how long could they go with the audience knowing this, but the characters not? After a while, it would get ridiculous. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it kind of came out right away. Yes. I mean, Liza, assuming she survived... God, now, if Liza dies before she has a chance to talk to anybody else, that's going to piss me off. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be uh, I'm sure it'll be fine, Chris. Don't worry about it. Well, I'm, I am going to worry about it a little bit. If she dies before she tells anyone, and then we go two seasons and people don't start to realize this, that's going to be ridiculous. So... She knows, people know, they're going to have to communicate it, and then everyone will know, and the characters in the audience will be on the same page, and I'll be happy. Right. So. Did do uh, did you notice that Moyers called the zombies skin bags? He did. He called them skin bags. All right. So is that, uh, that was only once, though. So we need to have somebody call them skin bags again. We do. We need a second mention of skin bags. Yeah. But that could work. I mean, that's that's a good one. I, I like. Well, it's like a meat bag, right? Yeah, you and I are meat bags. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, makes me. What was that? Uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic. That video game is that where that comes from? Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, where the uh, there was an evil droid that called uh, everybody else meat bags. Yeah, meat bags. That was awesome. Well, we're big bags of meat. <laughs> it's true. I guess so. Walking around. Um, skin bags. We'll have to see. If someone else uses the term skin bag, then that is what it'll be. So, um, anything else about the hospital? I mean, Griselda dies. That's sad. Uh, Daniel's going to be upset about that. And, um, presumably so will, uh, Ophelia. Yeah. Um, we learned that they use the cattle gun to traumatize the brain and that everyone knows. Um, I don't know if there's much else about the hospital, but I do enjoy seeing Sandrine Holt on screen. I really like her in yeah. uh, everything she's done. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the only other thing in this episode really is kind of the weirdest portion of the episode, in at least in my mind. And Is that when they were playing dress up? Yeah, when that... Alicia and Chris are in the sort of wealthy people's house, they put on all their clothes and destroy everything. Yeah, well, wouldn't you? No. I don't know if I'd wear their clothes. No, I wouldn't. But you know who would? Teenagers. Teenagers? Immature Maybe. teenagers who don't know how to deal with the situation that they're in. Or, or or they're dealing with it in sort of the only way they can think of, to wear people's clothes and destroy stuff. Smash crap and drink their booze. And and drink their booze. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but the whole thing felt a little weird. A little bit of sexual tension between them. I mean, they they are stepkids, so technically it's not even stepkids. I mean, his dad is dating her mom. Like, what's the big deal? Well, they're stepbrother and sister. Well, they're not married. Okay, I, I guess they're not married. That doesn't. Uh, all right, so fine. They're not even step siblings, but uh, no, it's it's not it's not uh, forbidden. But I do think it's a little weird. It'd be awkward at you know family dinners and stuff. Yeah, you know. But I mean, weird things happen sometimes. Like I used to know somebody who was married to a woman, a guy who was married to his wife, of course. <laughs> but okay. By definition, his wife, he was married to her. And his sister married his wife's brother. Okay. So and you found that weird? Well, it's it's definitely unusual. No, it isn't. There's been like sets of twins that marry each other, right? The the two men, male twins marry the two female twins. That has happened. Well, I, I'm sure these things happen. I'm just saying. it's, it's... So on, on the Brady Bunch, if Greg and Marsha got together... That would be weird for you. Yes. Okay, that's true. You don't think that would be wouldn't be weird? I, no, I think that would be weird. That's a little weird because they're all living in the same house. They're all teenagers, right? Yeah. Even though Greg was uh, what twenty eight when he did that show, I have no idea. Never watched it. And uh, yeah, so that would be a little bit weird because they're all you know supposed supposedly supposedly no that's not right supposedly teenagers all living in the same house, that'd be a little bit weird. So these two are teenagers, but they don't live in the same house. They've only met each other a couple of times. Uh, he's probably, uh, how old is uh, I? Th- old I is think he? he's a bit younger than Alicia. Alicia's 17. Yeah. Chris is, he would be he, probably 15, 16, maybe? Maybe at the least. Like, he's he's that not much younger. Fine. Yeah. Fine. No, I'm just saying, it was, it was weird. The scene with her at the top of the stairs... With the dress off her shoulder, showing her whole back, kind of looking back at him, back at him all seductively, like it was just awkward. Like it was awkward and strange. And I know these things happen; they're not related. And hey, man, it's the end of the world. You got to do what you got to do. But you smoke and drink, you know, and smoke and drink. Don't screw your stepbrother. <laughs> well, and make out with whoever is nearby that's not directly related to you. I guess. I mean, that's what happens. And within a relative age range. Right, exactly. Stick with... So that's fine. I think it's perfectly, you know, I think it's okay. All the rules are out the window. Not all of them, just most of the... Many of the rules. Most of the bullshit rules. Okay, fine. They shouldn't have been rules to begin with, is what you're saying. Uh, Well, there's, you know, certain rules you have to live by in order to make societies uh, work a little bit better. But when society breaks down, you have to take those bullshit rules and throw them out the window. Get rid of them. Okay. Well, I'm I'm with you there. Like Uh, not wearing dead guy's clothes. That is a bullshit rule that you just throw out the window. And if you can find some clothes that a dead guy uh, has worn in the past and you find them comfortable and a little bit smelly, you go ahead and wear them whenever you want. Yeah. Well, we've seen that play out. And I don't find... Well, I do find it weird that he hasn't changed, but... uh, you know, what are you... Well, he's in a cage now. You can't change in a cage. But what I... Back to Alicia and Chris. What I want to say is that uh, I think them dealing with the situation by breaking stuff and just having a little fun, it just speaks to their age again and their maturity level, right? They're just trying yeah. to put things out of their mind and and take advantage of, you know, destroying rich people's stuff. Yep. Right? So... There you go. Anyways, overall, uh, this episode, I think, was really good. I mean, it had a little bit of everything. It it's had, had tension. It had fun. It had uh, torture. It had lots of good information about Cobalt. And it had Victor Strand, who seems really cool. So yeah. I like this one a lot. What do you think? 
I liked it. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. More or less than last week, which I liked a lot. Hard to tell. My brain is pretty screwed up right now, so I don't think I can commit to uh, placing it in any kind of coherent order. But I did. I did like it. I didn't hate it. Uh, I thought there was a lot of uh, good aspects to it. I heard a helicopter, which is still good, which means shit's flying around. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think yeah, I I kind of agree with you that uh, that torture came a little early uh, in the. Uh, in the in the timeline, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, from the, a character point of view, character motivation point of view, it kind of makes sense. You're right. I, I, you know, now that I sort of you say that, it does kind of make sense. And that was all there in the episode, to their credit. Like they they yeah. gave us all that, and uh, um, it's it, uh, it it did sort of make sense. But at the same time, you know, it's only been nine days. The people were only just taken away the day before or earlier right. that day, and they're already torturing a guy. So uh, I don't know. It's That sort of bothered me. But, hey, we found out what Cobalt is, and we we're going to see it play out next week on the season finale. This thing's, already. This thing's over already. It's just I feel like it's just getting started. Yeah. And it's ending. Uh, all right. Um, that's going to be it. I think this was a pretty cool episode. Let's uh, take a really short break. When we come back, we'll read some more of your emails Uh, This time about this episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Stay with us. If you want to help support the Talking Dead podcast, you can do so by going to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and uh, clicking on one of the Amazon links there for the store that is most appropriate to you. The idea is you want to do this before you do all your shopping at Amazon and then a little percentage of your purchase comes back to us and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So it's a really great way to help out and, uh, you know, help us defray the cost of putting on this here podcast go to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon to help out and uh, we really appreciate all the support from everybody. You can also visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead to make a short, uh, small, not a short, but a small monthly pledge and again, just uh, the money collected goes to help put on the podcast so you can you can pledge any amount you want and uh, when, you, when you give a little more, there are some rewards and the, that you can get that are very cool, including custom, one-of-a-kind zombie sketches by friend of the show, Dave. So that's uh, patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. We appreciate the support from everybody.
Alrighty, once again, it is time for some listener feedback. Our first email comes from Connie in Connecticut. In The Walking Dead, I remember that a lot of people were confused about why the governor killed all those military guys. If the military from Fear the Walking Dead was consistent everywhere in the country, then I can see why there would be animosity and distrust of the military by the governor and his men. What the governor did would have been considered some well-deserved payback for being abandoned to be eaten by the dead. True. I just, it wasn't that he killed uh, the military guys. It was how it was portrayed on screen that I had the biggest problem with. Right. I remember that, that they were, that the military guys were just so ill-prepared for, for that attack. Yeah. Right. Standing yes. around, yeah. you know. We don't need. We don't need to dig up that old wound because it's painful. <laughs> uh, but yes, that would make sense that uh, the military, if uh, if this military group is indicative of how the military in general behaves in the zombie apocalypse, then yes, I can see that the public has a general distrust in them. Can I ask you a question? You can try. Well, I'm going to try. Is there a difference between? Uh, like the army, as in the professional army, and the National Guard. Yes. What is the difference? I don't know. <laughs> well, well, there's the army, there's the navy, there's the marines, and there's the air force, and there's the National Guard. I think the difference is that um, the armed forces, army, navy, marines, air force, they're expeditionary forces. I don't think they're allowed to operate on American soil. I think the Constitution says that they have to, in order, you can't use the Army uh, within uh, the United States. That's what the National Guard is for. The National Guard uh, does stuff in the uh, uh, inside the, the U.S., whereas the rest of the military operates outside of the U.S. The, the rest of the military obviously can defend the United States against an attack from within. Not from within, but like... I, I think there has to be extenuating circumstances for that to happen. I think the Congress or whatever has to... There has to be... A, uh, there's probably provisions for that and that have to be enacted. But okay. generally speaking, uh, the Army can't uh, do stuff. They can do... Uh, like, they can't actively do crap inside the United States. So the National Guard, though, that's what they're for. That's what they're there for. Does that mean that they're not... They're more like the reserves? Like, they just hang around yes. until they're needed? Yes. So so that may be why they're a little bit more prone to, you know, deserting their mission, or they're not just quite as... Um, well, I think these guys were Army. Like, this is... Uh, no, these, I think the... these guys are National Guard. Everywhere, everybody refers to them as the National Guard. Oh, I see. Okay. So, and I'm thinking... I, I, don't, I think that they're all, like... Uh, I, I don't think it's a branch of the military that is more prone to this kind of shit. I just think it's it's a different branch of military that can operate within the United States. Okay, I was thinking though, if they're not technically professional army and they're not, you know, their job isn't always this isn't always their job. Oh, just, that might be. They're just not as used to it. Like they're called. I don't up. know if they're full time because I know that yeah. in in Canada we have the reserves or what we call the militia. But when you say militia, Americans get kind of jumpy. Uh, <laughs> we call so. it the militia. I didn't, yeah, was, I didn't even was, know that. It was the militia. But generally, it's called the reserves. But yes, uh, I was a member of the reserves in Canada, and it wasn't a full-time job. It was a part-time job. You go twice a week, once a week or twice a week, to, and then uh, in the summer, you do training a few days a week at different bases and such. Is it even that much? I thought it was like once a month. Well, Depends. I, I did. I was in, the reason I joined the reserves was that I was in the pipe band, 
And yeah. uh, they said, if you join the reserves, you get paid for being in the pipe band. So I'm like, woohoo. So I joined the reserves, went through basic training, and I was a, my job in the reserves was a drummer in a pipe band. And I went twice a week for rehearsals, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Got and it. In the summers, I had to, I had to do uh, a couple of weekends of training throughout the summer, but that was it. Like, that's all I was required. It made a man out of you. Yeah. They taught me how to drive, and that was it. Really? Yeah, I was a driver. Huh. Wow. I didn't have a driver's license, but I could drive if I was on a military base because they don't care about that stuff. How old, how old were you? I was 17. Oh, when did you get... Oh, yeah, you didn't have a driver's license. Right. Anyways, interesting. Yeah, I didn't get my driver's license until like, well, last summer? Until <laughs> you were like 43 or something? Yeah, I think I, it was either... Was it, yeah, it wasn't this summer. It was last summer that I finally got my full G driver's license. I finally passed my last test, and I can I can drive. Jason uh, took his sweet-ass time getting a full driver's license. I had to get married first, and my wife had to point her finger at me and say, you're getting your driver's license. Because I'm not driving everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Uh, all right, anyways, I just wasn't sure of the, of the difference there, but uh, if Jason's wrong, I'm sure someone will correct you. Oh, yeah, let us know, because uh, I'm completely just speculating. All right. Next is Angie in Birmingham. She says, A real annoyance for me the last few episodes is Travis's reluctance to use violence. But that scene with him in the back of the truck made me forgive that. This is a normal guy. Eleven days ago, he was in a classroom. He's not a soldier. He's not a policeman. He is someone who has strayed from violence and is now trying to come to terms with what's happening. It's also perfectly understandable why it's taking them so long to get with the picture. They have... They have been safe, never in a horde, never in a true life-or-death situation, behind the fences and surrounded by soldiers. They haven't seen the true situation yet. And this brings me back to the scene with uh, Travis and the, and the rifle. I'm so glad that he didn't actually fire that rifle. I think it would have been counter to his character, and I think it strengthened his character that he didn't do it. Yeah. Right, like if he I shot that, agree. if he shot that thing, it would have, it just would have been too, it would have felt too easy for him. You know, he has his principles, his standards, and I feel like he would have just been throwing those out the window if he'd shot that that gun, even though he was shooting a zombie, not not like he was killing a human, but still, I'm yeah. glad he didn't do it. Uh, all right, next is Chuck from Planet Earth. Holy crap! Did you see that freaking amazing episode from the guy who obligated Nick to the torture? the military abandonment, and then, of course, the stadium filled with 2,000 of the infected. It did seem a little dodgy at the beginning, but it progressed well, and the ending was great. Awesome. Very good. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, Joe in Roanoke, Virginia. One thing that upset me tonight on the show was the error I saw on Sergeant Castro's Army uniform. Uh Uh-oh. I was Uh in the U.S. Army for four years and was assigned to the 10th Mountain Division. Being in the military, a soldier takes pride in his or her uniform, and Sergeant Castro's patch on his right shoulder under the American flag was upside down. It also was the patch for the 10th Mountain, which pissed me off the most. One would think that a show like The Walking Dead would notice things like that. I love watching the new show, but those little things when it comes to the military is a huge pet peeve of mine. Right. What do you think? They, should they get the... Should they get the... Uh... They should at least get that, uh, that, that shit right. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I agree with you. However, maybe are they allowed to use uh, um, that kind of imagery? Like, I, I guess they are, right? Or do they have to turn it upside down so it's not technically the Tenth Mountain logo? 
I have no idea. I would assume that they can use that kind of imagery or they would make up their own patches or something, but... Yeah, and someone just put it on upside down. Um, Joe might be a good person to clarify sort of our feelings or our, or I should say, your speculations on the military. Yeah, Joe, let us know what's going on with uh, whether these were... Um... Brain stopped working altogether. It was... National Guard versus Yeah, National Guard. That's the phrase that I was looking for. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Don't worry, Jason. We're almost done. You can go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Austin in Tennessee writes, Holy crap. Did you see that big-ass arena filled with the infected? Wow. Just imagine a Justin Bieber concert gone bad. Hard to imagine. I know. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) turning and the military can't stop it. Instead, just locks them all in. Can't wait until they all break the door and start coming out. This would be an awesome cliffhanger uh, for next week's finale. And yeah, it kind of was. Yeah, so the Justin Bieber concert, that would be like, what, 50,000 12-year-old girls turning into zombies? Yes, and you don't want that. No. Man, that's even scarier than like 50,000 pro wrestlers turning into zombies. Oh, that'd be weird, <laughs> eh? Totally weird. Uh, all right, Carrie on the internet writes... Everything seemed to build towards the final episode except the step-siblings in the fancy house part. A, Alicia is acting even more out of touch with reality, borderline silly, even a little weirdly flirtation, flirtatious with Chris. And two, didn't they hate each other every episode before this? So, I guess they bonded over playing dress-up and smashing stuff, then just put on their regular clothes and went home? It seems like they would have at least looted some Nutella from Mr. and Mrs. Fancy Pants before heading out. Or a big can of pudding. Giant can of pudding. Okay, so, uh, you know, as far as hating each other for every episode before this, if I was a 16-year-old boy and I hated a 17-year-old girl and then all of a sudden she showed a little skin, I would change my mind. Yep, don't hate you anymore. I don't hate you anymore. She showed a lot of back. Did you notice how much back she showed? Well, it was her back. It was. I'm just saying. She has a, it's, it was a fine back. All right. Then. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the, uh, the moods of uh, a 16 or 17 year old can change on a whim oh, based yeah. on uh, sexual tension. You know, you add a little sexual tension. I think the, how much you hate somebody kind of goes right out the window. Yeah. Especially for teenagers. Yeah. Right. Well, I think so. Um, t- but I think Carrie's right. I think I agree with Carrie, as I said earlier. It, the whole thing felt a little odd to me. And I like how Carrie makes two points. The first one, A, and the second one, number two. <laughs> so <laughs> I like that kind of thing. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, next is Stephanie in Nebraska. We were wrong. We were so wrong. Daniel isn't the new governor. He's the new Shane, Gabriel, and the CDC guy rolled into one. He is so obsessed with the previous war, he cannot fathom that zombies are the real threat. All he cares about is watching others suffer. His goals are not to protect his family, but merely to take revenge. Everything he has done this episode was to find out, find a way to get revenge on the authorities. It just so happened to give him useful information as well. Even this, I did what I had to do attitude is merely a way for him to self-justify his actions. He used his daughter to take revenge on the man who dared touch her and did not even try to ask for him information first. That guy was weak. He was broken before the tape came off his mouth. And that final scene just solidified his psychopathology. 
His first priority is to hurt the military, not save his daughter from a fate he knows is coming. If he had truly done this for his family, he would be getting his child out of there before heading to the hospital uh, and or the arena. That's true. So I do think Daniel's a bit of a psycho. He, yeah, he totally is. Um uh, and, and the torture solidified it for me. So, yeah. and, and I think Stephanie makes a good point here. He, he was more interested. It seemed to me like he was more interested in hurting this guy than getting information. And the information just was sort of a happy accident. Yes. So, and I, and I agree too, that he, uh, he is a bad man that, uh, I mean, he may feel bad about being a bad man, but he's a bad man. He's still a bad man and he's. Uh, yeah, and 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 she she equates him to Shane and Gabriel and Dr. Jenner, and uh, so it's interesting. Um, but I think really really interesting points. Um, I wonder how he's going to react when he finds out that his wife did not survive in the hospital. Things could, yeah, yeah, could get really bad. Be whatever. Really? Yeah, I think I don't. I, I think he's going to be kind of pissed, but I think he feels that it's inevitable. I think he's already mentally uh, let go of his wife because he figures that uh, she's gone, and the chances are they're going to kill her. If I had to make a prediction, I would say that Daniel does not survive next episode, and Ophelia is the only one who sort of sticks around and joins the group, so to speak. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can definitely see that. All right. Finally, we have Richard on the internet. Last night's episode was a step in the right direction, but the side story involving Chris and Alicia was a little bizarre. They've had very little contact through the series, and then she just invites him to his house when they try on clothes and trash the living room. The sexual tension was ridiculous out of nowhere. I guess she's (laughs) over with Matt. (laughs) Well, I think that's also uh, kind of indicative of 16, 17-year-olds. Right. Your sexual tension comes out of nowhere. Comes out of nowhere. I should have put this one before the Stephanie's email, but uh, either way, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. She's over Matt, and I feel like this really just kind of, you know, is the way a teenage, an immature teenage girl would, would act. First, the first thing she wanted to do was run back to Matt at all cost. Now it's like, eh, he's dead, he's I guess. Dead. It's been nine days, so probably I'm going to move on and... You know, nail my stepbrother. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I, know, I think I know. she's probably confused, and you know they have uh, they have hormones coursing through their bodies that uh, don't make a lot of sense to them. And, and boy, I'm boy, am I glad that those are not really a problem for me anymore because <laughs> that was an annoying time. Right, I it was guess very so. annoying. It was. Uh, yeah, we don't need to go there, but it was very <laughs> annoying. It was extremely annoying. Um, yes, and to be fair, there was no indication that, you know, they were actually going to have sex or anything like that. It's just, it is what it is, so. See right. my back? This is my back. Oh, and look at my shoulder, too. Look at my shoulder and my back, and I'm going to smile at you alluringly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. Don't okay. come upstairs, though. No, don't do that. Uh, all right. Let's, that's it for the feedback. Thank you everyone for writing in. You can send feedback to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or of course go to our website and click on send voicemail. Um, We have got a couple of calls in the last uh, little while, but um, the quality was not amazing. So I apologize for not being able to play those. I'll double check that voicemail thing and make sure everything is okay. Uh, Let's talk about next week on Fear the Walking Dead. 
It is the season finale. I'm going to let you know what the title of the episode is, the director, and the um, description from AMC. So if you don't want to hear any of that, uh, I guess you should probably just turn us off right now. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week, I hope. But for those of you that do want to stick around, next week, next week's episode is called The Good Man. The Good Man. And the AMC description is, As civil unrest grows and the dead take over, Travis and Madison try to devise ways to protect their families. The dead take over. Yeah, so sure. I think we're obviously going to see many more of the dead. And uh, as soon as they open the doors to that arena, that's probably enough to take over at least the immediate area. Yeah. 2000. So it seems to make sense. This episode is directed by Stefan Schwartz, or maybe Stephen Schwartz. And he's been around a little bit. The guy has directed one episode of The Walking Dead, the main show. He's also done The Americans, Dexter, Luther, Black Sails, things like that. So he's got a fair number of directing credits under his belt. Nice. And this is the only episode of Fear the Walking Dead he did, whereas the other ones were done um, by just two other people. They, they both had multiple episodes. So they gave the finale to this guy. Wow. Who knows why? Maybe they uh, see something in him that makes him finale material. I don't know. But that, of course, will be on next week, next Sunday, and it's the season finale, so it should be exciting. But there's something else Walking Dead-related happening uh, starting next next Sunday, too, Jason. What's that, Christopher? Well, do you remember when we talked about um, zombies on a plane? I do remember that, and I actually saw something about this on the internet. Ah, well, it's happening. It's called Fear the Walking Dead Flight 462. That's the ah. name. Yes. And uh, it will be premiering next Sunday night uh, on AMC.com. So Entertainment Weekly had this to say, Fear the Walking Dead Flight 462 will tell the story of a commercial flight in the early goings of the outbreak as a passenger is discovered to be infected. The first episode will debut on AMC.com on October 4th. And uh, so this is going to be a series of one-minute webisodes, basically. (laughs) Okay. So very short. The rest of them are going to air during commercial breaks on The Walking Dead uh, season premiere on October the 11th. During com- That sucks. During commercial breaks. So if you don't watch the commercial breaks, you're not going to see them. But they are called webisodes, so I imagine they'll be put up on amc.com as well. So you'll be able to watch them all there. But we'll get to see the first one next week. So we'll talk about that briefly when we see it Um uh, after the episode. Now, the other information here is that one of the characters on this plane apparently is going to survive and make an appearance on Fear the Walking Dead Season 2. Spoiler. Well, what can I do? That's in the press release. I mean, yes, I guess it's a spoiler, but it's I'm not saying spoiler for you. It's spoiler for them spoiling everybody, because now we know the plane doesn't just, you know, nosedive into the ocean. Yeah, or explode or or whatever. So... Who knows who it's going to be? We don't know. I I couldn't find any information on the actors that are in this thing. Um, IMDb does have a listing for just two episodes of this, but it's all grouped together with the other webisodes that that they did for the main show. And uh, but so who knows? I don't know what it's going to be. The director is the Fear the Walking Dead director of photography, a guy named Michael McDonough. Michael McDonough. McDonough. Yes. Um... 
So he's he's a director of photography on the show, but he'll be directing these webisodes. So we'll see. I mean, it could be entertaining. It feels a little gimmicky to me, to be honest, to do it zombies does. on a plane. But what are you going to do? I mean, sometimes sometimes these things work out. Sometimes zombies are on a plane. <laughs> yeah, zombies seem to be able to go and get everywhere. So they're on planes, they're on boats, they're in the forest, they're, you know, everywhere. They're in the desert. They're in the forest? That's right. They are everywhere. So anyways, we'll check that out and we will chat about it next week. Uh, all right, Jason, that is going to do it for this episode of The Talking Dead. We've got one more, like I said, and then after that, we're back to our normal format and schedule discussing the main show, The Walking Dead. That will be fun. And I promise, I promise, we're doing everything we can to get our act together and stop recording on Tuesday nights. Right? Yeah. Last time was your fault. This time was my fault. Next time, there's nobody to blame, so we have to. We have to. We pretty much have to, yeah. I cannot do next Tuesday night. So if we miss Monday, we're really going to be up the creek. So we can't miss Monday. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, In the meantime, until then, if you want to get in touch with us, please, by all means, uh, visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead or check us out on Twitter at talkingdead. You can go to talkingdeadpodcast.com where you can find all of our past episodes and you can click send voicemail to send us a message. Hopefully that thing works, but I'll double check it. It should be fine. You can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, like I said, I read everything that comes in. I try to respond to some stuff. And we get as much as we can on the air here. So there you go. Uh, That's going to do it. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao.